I'm Wendy Michelle, personal trainer and nutritionist turned researcher, innovator, and precision wellness specialist. Welcome to Whole, Healthy, and Free. This podcast is all about equipping you with cutting-edge tools and information for accomplishing your health goals and becoming your best version of you. I have collectively spent over 20 years behind the scenes in clinical healthcare, in food and supplement manufacturing, in alternative medicine, and fitness marketing. What I've seen behind closed doors and experienced in real life has provided me with an education no formal textbook would dare to write about. From it all, I learned that health is much easier than it has been presented to be. People are capable of way more than they realize. And the majority of what masquerades as healthy is commonly what actually contributes to illness. I break it all down and bring it all to light for the sole purpose of giving you your power back so you can reclaim your health to live whole, healthy, and free. Hey friends, thanks for joining me on another episode of Whole, Healthy, and Free. As you know, one of my primary goals for this podcast is to introduce you to ways that you can create health in your body, your mind, your home, relationships, and environment. And in recent episodes, I've talked about regenerative farming, the diet industry, the business of agriculture, epigenetics, and the manipulation of our food. Considering those have been within the first couple episodes, it's pretty obvious I believe that they are critically important topics for the sake of health, wholeness, and freedom. I mean, sure, talking about diets and exercises helpful, but it has forever been my deepest desire to move beyond the surface-level conversations, get to the root of the issues, and present solutions, as in real, tangible, immediate solutions. As far as I'm concerned, our soil is at the root of many of our issues, some of which I just listed. So when I stumbled upon today's guest and his company, I was instantly interested and inspired, and I immediately reached out to him. Y'all already know how I feel about the food industry and how passionate I am about getting our food back in alignment with the original design and holding nature and creation with reverence. So let me share with you some of what caught my attention about today's guest and his company. So first I landed on this statement, which I think is very powerful. Nature has already solved every problem humans have created. All we have to do is get out of the way. Then, as I continued some research, I noticed that a few of the goals of this company are to eliminate toxic chemicals and pesticides and increase the nutrients of crops. Uh, Yes, please. (laughs) The website goes further to say something that might sound familiar to you if you've been listening to me for any amount of time at all, that every purchase you make is a vote. Sure, you can buy organic or local produce, but do you know if this produce was farmed in a regenerative manner? There is so much that I had to say about all that, but I'm actually going to let him expand on it and so much more. I'm very excited to introduce you to Daryl J. Nicky II. He is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and activist who has spent more than 20 years working on Hollywood productions And he was one of the youngest animators ever hired by Walt Disney Animation at just 21 years old. His first documentary film sparked a grassroots movement that led to the federal legalization of hemp across the USA in 2018. And his new venture, which we'll be talking about, I hope, um, quite a bit today, Carbon Capture Shield, aims to transform 1 billion acres of earth into regenerative land by 2030. I love this. I'm so excited about this conversation. Daryl, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm good. A little bit cold, but other than that, good. <laughs> Where are you in the world? Right now, I'm in uh, a town called Leipzig, Germany. So it's, it's very cold today. It's, we had frost on the ground recently, so... <laughs> But it's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for um, working through the time zone stuff and and being with me today. I'm so thankful. And I'm really excited about this conversation. I've just so many things have come to mind since we chatted last. And I was so inspired. And I 
I can't think of a better topic for uh, for my listeners because I get so many questions about this exact thing and not just from the standpoint of the why or you know what's happened or why does this matter but what can we do about it so I do want to spend uh, a good amount of time learning about carbon capture shield specifically but if you don't mind um, will you share a little bit about your experience with with farmers around the globe and what you've learned about our soil that has inspired you to create a solution? Yeah, sure. So in uh, around 2016, my wife and I went to a hemp conference here in Europe. Uh, I was living in Austria at the time, running an animation studio, and I'd, I'd been exposed to cannabis as a beneficial uh, treatment for PTSD and, and psychological disorders. And it really blew my mind because my whole life I, I thought this plan was evil. Um, but the more I looked into it, the more I was blown away by the benefits that this one plant could actually bring to to nature, to humankind, to society, to everything. And what really blew my mind was when I learned about uh, Professor David Midland uh, had produced graphene supercapacitors from hemp that was literally a million times cheaper than the current uh, process to create graphene. And I, I couldn't understand why people weren't pursuing this. And so my wife and I went to this uh, European industrial hemp conference uh, in, where was it? it was, I think it was Cologne in Germany. Mm. And that really blew my mind. I, I met so many researchers from around the world. And these weren't hippies. You know, these weren't uh, people uh, smoking weed and, and passing the joint around. These were actual PhD researchers from well-respected global institutions all coming together to discuss the benefits of this crop and how they could promote it more. And uh, after being inspired from the conversations we had there, my wife and I actually gave up everything. We, we gave away all of our belongings in <laughs> 2017 and set out on a journey to really uh, understand and tell the story of this crop. We, we knew that we wanted to get involved in uh, the cannabis industry in some way. And so we thought the best way to, to figure out where we should invest was to research it. So we joined something called the Hemp Road Trip, which was a, a group of activists who rode in a bus around the United States, uh, met with you know state legislators and with farmers and business owners all around the country. And that's where I really learned about the plight of the soil. I, I learned how much good hemp could do for, for the planet. But then when I started talking to farmers around the world, I, I realized how uh, demonized the plant was. And I realized that we had to start from the soil because uh, that is the foundation of everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned some really dramatic things. Like as we went around the United States, uh, I met all these farmers and they were telling me that, um, well, first of all, my, my wife and I started to develop uh, what we thought was gluten intolerance. And when we started talking with the farmers in the U.S., because we, we never had this problem when we lived in other countries, but in the U.S., we definitely were having a reaction to any wheat-based product. And what the farmers were telling us is that the farmers in the U.S.A. are so uh, broke, quite frankly, that they cannot afford their own harvesting equipment. And so they have to hire a harvesting service, which calls up and says, hey, we're going to be there to harvest your crop next week. Make sure your wheat is ready. Well, how do you make sure your wheat is ready on schedule You know, when, you're, when you have a service who comes when they're ready, not when your crop is ready? Well, mm -hmm. you spray it with glyphosate because it's a desiccant. It will kill it. It will start to desiccate it and dry it and prepare it for harvest. And there's a blanket uh, provision for even organic wheat farmers to spray their crops in order to be harvested. And so all the wheat in the USA is literally drenched with glyphosate before it's harvested. And that's why we're having these stomach issues. And and it gets back to the fact that it's it's the soil and it's the farmers that are they're being squeezed in every way possible. So. Uh, after that, my wife and I sort of uh, went back to the drawing board. Uh, I made some more documentaries about farmers in different countries, but we're we're searching for a way to really impact on a global scale. How could we bring people's awareness to the soil? Um, as you said on the website, we say every vote, every dollar you spend is a vote. Mm -hmm. And how do we inform those voters uh, and educate them so that way they're not blinded by the media propaganda of advertising. And, and that's what Carbon Capture Shield is, is aiming to do. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk too much, but I get excited <laughs> when I start going. No, and I, well, that's, I, that's one of the 
the things I've been most excited about this conversation is I just, I learned so much just from the short amount of time we chatted earlier this week or last week sometime. Uh, I was like, I was just taking mad notes because uh, there was just so much. So I actually do want you to, I mean, feel free to just expand as you wish and go any direction that you want, because I, I do feel like that you are the expert in this space. And, and your feet on the ground, and this is another thing that I'm very passionate about, is people who, who aren't just necessarily trying to build a brand, but who have gotten their hands dirty and out of it has come a brand. And that's a, there's a big difference. There's, there's the people who can just look at what's going on in the world and go, this looks like it's trending or this might make some money. Um, and then build something around that to capture, to capitalize on it. But then there's those of us who were in the midst of something and looking around going, wait, why is this happening like this? Why isn't anybody doing something about this? And then from that comes, you know, comes a solution, comes a company. That's exactly what I feel like y'all have been doing and, and your experience. So feel free to, to just run in any direction that you want. I would love it if you would, from your perspective, um, talk a little bit about regenerative farming and explain it the way that you would based on your experience. So regenerative farming is any type of agriculture or tending of the land that restores and regenerates the vitality of that land. So basically you leave it better than you found it. Uh, and that that is the, the base definition. So there's many ways to get there, which is why we didn't pick, you know, you have things like permaculture and you have um, uh, or, uh, organic teas, compost teas and all that. There's many ways to get there and we didn't want to limit it to that because um, we didn't want to restrict farmers because they, they will know what is actually best or they'll learn what's best for their land as time goes on, whether it is permaculture or compost teas or any number of different approaches. But the idea is that you leave the land better than you found it. And you spoke about nutrient density and mm -hmm. we're, we're working with a farmer, um, he's called the the what is his name? The chef's garden chef's garden is the name of his company. And we're only uh, tentatively talking with him, but he's been employing these regenerative practices for years. And what he's found is that his crops are actually tested and classified as vitamins. So he literally gets doctors who prescribe his produce as uh, supplement health supplements to his patients. Wow! And that's the power of the soil. Like we've forgotten that nature is abundant. You know, if you plant one seed in the soil and you take care of it, that seed will give forth a thousand fold what you put into it. And that is actually the true nature of nature. But we're living in this uh, detached society where we've literally tried to subdue nature and try and treat it like we treat a lab animal or, you know, a factory farm animal where we're just trying to extract as much value as we can out of it. And, you know, we're going to end up killing the goose that laid the golden egg to, mm -hmm. you know, to use a, a metaphor. But it's very true because it, literally the things we're doing to try and increase the yield of, of our farms is actually killing the soil, which is why when I was a kid, I learned about the Fertile Crescent, you know, where, where farming actually was developed. And today the Fertile Crescent is known as the Arabian Desert. So we've literally killed it through land mismanagement. What was once called the Fertile Crescent is now a desert, mm -hmm. and that can be undone. We're, we're actually working with a group. They did a project called Bloom the Desert in Dubai in 2012. They flew uh, into the Dubai desert where it's you know 100 degrees Fahrenheit every day in the shade, and they actually grew crops in the bare sand uh, using the kind of techniques that, that developed, you know, that were pushing through carbon capture shields. So you can literally resurrect dead soil and we can start uh, reclaiming the desert and restoring the vitality because there's a lot of life under the sands that is just waiting to blossom, which is evidence. I don't know if you've ever seen a documentary about like when rains hit the desert and it literally just bursts forth with life where it's covered in these the most beautiful flowers uh, within a day. So that kind of life is really literally waiting just below the surface, but it's sort of gone dormant because we've been poisoning the soil and, and trying to sterilize it and control it and make it like a laboratory environment where we only grow this one monocrop, which is usually a genetically modified crop mm -hmm. so that it can withstand all the poisons we spray you know, into the air, into the soil, into the water. Uh, and it, it's like, that's not the way nature works. So... <laughs> 
no. there's got to be a different way. Yeah, yes, uh, and and it's so true. And I, and I, I mean, just listening to you go through those things, it it's so clear to me. It's so obvious why I spend as much time with people helping them reclaim their health. It really does go back to the soil, and of you know, of course, our environment overall. And you had said something that I took a note on when we chatted last week that you um, that far, you know that regenerative farming invests in the soil itself. It, it actually is resurrecting the life that that is supposed to be in the soil, um, which oh. and I and I love that just that concept of it's 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 there, it's it's already there. Um, we just have to resurrect it so to speak. Is that right? That's correct. In, in most areas. I mean, there are like the, you know, the tar sand fields, <laughs> uh, that there are areas where it's been completely eradicated. Um, but in general, what we're finding is that all you have to do is stop poisoning the ground. Uh, and then we're, we're providing products also where you're reseeding that. So you're sort of, um, you're not just encouraging it with the right environment, but you're also putting uh, like dormant fungal spores and bacteria into the soil again, so that you're reseeding that area. And that's that's based on a principle. Um, it's a little bit gross, but I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, fecal transplants. Oh, yes. Uh, or, <laughs> so for treating things like uh, F. difficile uh, and, yeah, various bacterial infections in, in the intestines, mm-hmm. what they do is they take poop from a healthy person and they will inject it up the butt of, mm-hmm. of the diseased person. And that's because their microbiome has gotten out of whack mm-hmm. to the point where you can't fix it. You just have to inject it with healthy stuff. And the same is true of the soil. So what we're, what we found is you can take uh, the micro microbial life from healthy soil and seed that into dead soil and it will resurrect it. It will literally bring it back to life. And then after a few years, you'll be finding uh, all kinds of uh, species of microflora that you didn't put there, but it's actually reactivated that in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then those those dormant species have come back because they're they're necessary and the, the conditions are now right for them to thrive again. I love that. I love that. And will you actually talk a little bit about the, the fungi networks and how they work beneath the soil surface and just how amazing they are? You had touched on that a bit uh, before when uh, we were talking about the dead zones and, and how those networks were functioning to even absorb some of the toxins. Will you go into that a bit? Yeah, sure. Well, um, one thing that really opened my mind is, um, so I love reading research papers, and I'm a bit of a nerd that way, but it leads to really great finds. And in Canada, uh, on the tar sands, when, when they extract the tar from the tar sands, they literally destroy everything like it's like completely sterilized it's basically quartz you know crystal sand with traces of petroleum on it and so nothing will grow in that for hundreds if not thousands of years but they found randomly every now and then a dandelion would spring up in the middle of this dead uh, tar sand and when they took those dandelions back to the lab and analyzed them what they found was that first of all the dandelions were literally their roots were growing uh around clumps of sand that was covered in oil so they couldn't figure out first of all why are these plants not dying not you know because the oil just destroys the the living tissue Mm. but when they dissected it and and found uh at the core was this specific uh species of fungi that not only was it protecting the plant from the the toxins around it but it was actually digesting those hydrocarbons uh, and turning the hydrocarbons into carbohydrates and then feeding themselves and then also feeding the plant everything. So they were able to extract from the oil everything that the plant needed. They didn't even have to water those plants mm-hmm. uh, when when this uh, fungi was, was present. All they had to do literally was consuming the oil and feeding it to the plants. And so that's just one species of fungi that's naturally in the soil waiting to be activated. But there's pretty much a species of fungi that will break down and feed on just about any toxin that we've found. That's why I say nature has already solved every problem we've ever created because we're not we're not actually creating new, you know, forms of matter. It's all on the periodic table. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a bacteria or a fungi that will break down everything. There's even uh, what's it called? It's called um, nucleophilic fungi or something, but they literally uh, are attracted to and will eat radioactive materials. And not only do they consume the radioactive materials, they somehow uh, make it inert so that it's no longer radioactive. 
So there's even fungi and bacteria that will break down radioactive waste. Um, and this is also something I saw with, with hemp because hemp was used to clean up the Chernobyl disaster site. So hemp will actually suck up the radiation and will make it, uh, it, it's not totally inert, but it is like a, a huge factor of magnet order of magnitude reduction in the radioactivity of it. Um, so that's a little bit off topic, but the fungal networks. So once you have this fungi in the soil, then you talk about, uh, I don't know if you've heard of something like arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, mm -hmm. which uh, so these fungi actually live in harmony with most crop plants and things like grasses uh, and tomatoes and things like that. And they literally burrow into the roots of the plant and kind of extend them out. And these fungal networks, they can seek out as, as far as 300 meters or three football fields. They can go out to seek uh, all kinds of uh, nutrients, water. Uh, they can s dissolve solid rock and then pump that back to the plant if that rock contains nutrients that the plant is seeking. And they've been known to pump water as far as three football fields uphill to feed plants that it had formed a symbiotic relationship with. Mm. And the reason why they go in symbiosis with these plants is because fungi can dissolve solid rock, but they cannot photosynthesize. Mm. And so plants, literally, they take uh, hydrogen from water and carbon from carbon dioxide in the atmosphere using sunlight and they form it into carbohydrates or uh, sugars basically and then that forms the basis of every all carbon-based life is based on these carbon sugars that are produced by plants you know protein is carbon and hydrogen with nitrogen added to it and muscle is you know it's all the same uh, reconfiguration of these carbon atoms and that's what makes up every cell in our bodies. And, and it comes from plants photosynthesizing that. Mm -hmm. We eat it when we eat an apple or a carrot or a potato. Those are all starches and sugars, carbohydrates created by the plants. But also the fungi and the bacteria in the soil eat this as well. And they're literally fed it. They almost like they tend the crops from below the way we tend them from the top. Mm -hmm. Only they do it in a much more holistic and uh, mutually beneficial way because the fungi also create homes for all kinds of life in the soil. And I kind of explain it, uh, well, I learned this from, from my research as well, but it's like the difference between uh, flour, you know, when you make bread, between flour and a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. If you take a pile of flour and you pour water on that, it's going to erode, it's, it's not going to soak in, it's going to basically pool up and flow off. And that's what happens when, when deserts get flooded. Whereas if you pour water onto a loaf of bread, it's going to soak it up like a sponge. It's going to stop floods, and it's actually going to hold that moisture until it's needed. So it's also going to prevent droughts. And that's the, the only difference is the bread has had microbial life living within it and transforming its environment into a home. And that's what happens with soil. Soil literally rises up, and it creates space in between. And there's uh, a carbon called glomalin. That's basically sloughed off uh, from these mycorrhizal fungal networks, like when a, sh a snake sheds its skin and it goes into the soil and that that acts like glue and holds it open like a sponge. So when it rains, it doesn't all wash off. It literally gets soaked up into the soil so it doesn't flood. And for every one gram of carbon that gets put into the soil, it can uh, it can hold eight extra grams of water. So it's literally 800 percent more water that it can hold just by adding one gram of carbon in the form of these fungal networks. So, but then imagine that, that that water doesn't just go away, it stays there also. So then if you get a drought you know, later, then it will slowly feed that water back to the plants as they require it. So it's like this is, mm -hmm. this is literally nature's plan and how it works. Uh, and t speaking of weather patterns as well, is the plants also create the weather patterns. Mm -hmm. Because uh, what happens is rain has to go into a low pressure zone, right? So rain typically doesn't flow into a high pressure zone. And a high pressure zone is, think of it similar to like a mountaintop. So as as the uh, high pressure increases, the, the rain has to sort of push harder like it's going uphill over a mountaintop. Well, 
a forest, you know, first of all, it's green, so it's absorbing all of that heat. It doesn't irradiate back out into the atmosphere, creating high-pressure heat domes, but also plants transpire. So they're actually exhaling water back into the atmosphere, which is acting like evaporation and dropping the temperature. So it's literally creating a low-pressure zone that attracts rain to it, in addition to all this transpired water coming off the plants going up and seeding clouds. Mm-hmm. So uh, conversely, if you have a city, you've got all this concrete and asphalt that's absorbing the heat and then irradiating it back out into the atmosphere, creating a high-pressure heat dome where the rain literally can't get in to where all the only weather that can get in past these high-pressure heat domes is when you have a massive storm. So you literally go between drought and floods, which is exactly what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Wow. And what is it the 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 plowing and the tilling that's disrupting this the networks these amazing networks I just love how nature I love how Correct. nature works but is is that what what's happening is that why we're seeing um, what we're seeing is or at least why the the it's because it kind of acts like a communication network it seems like as well it's able to read um, everything that's connected to so is it because we've been breaking up the ground that that's not working 100%. anymore. Yeah, it's it's the breaking it up, and it's also the spraying of all the chemicals. You know, I mean, um, most people don't realize that World War One was called the Chemists' War because that's when they developed, uh, for instance, uh, nitrogen uh, to make TNT. They were synthesizing it out of the air, and that was a huge breakthrough that allowed them to blow a lot of people up. Mm. Um, and they also produced all these amazing poisons uh, and you know gases that they would kill humans with. And then when the war ended, they had all these factories set up. And they were like, what are we going to do? Well, they declared war on farming. And so they convinced farmers that, oh, you know, you don't have to fight locusts and all that. Just just poison the land, you know. And, oh, you don't have to uh, use cows to, to get nitrogen into the ground and cover crops and all that. Just here, w- we can manufacture artificial nitrogen, inject this into the ground. And so they actually built up huge advertising and PR firms as well that literally tried to re-educate farmers that, uh, you know, the green revolution is that it's, we're going to industrialize farmer, far, farming and you can get a, a consistent crop if you use, you know, all these inputs. And that's where the NPK and all, you know, all of these additives started coming from. And then, of course, you have to start pro- supplying them on a, on a massive scale, too, because once you start doing that to the soil, you're going to kill all the natural life, and now you're left with sterilized soil. So you, if you don't keep buying their products, you know it's great for the marketing uh, mm-hmm. firms because if you don't buy their products, your your land is now dead. <laughs> so you become more and more addicted to their products as time goes by. Mm, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> seems yeah. to seems to run its course through through many of our industries for sure. And and so and you did mention, I if I remember correctly, somewhere on the on the website as I was scrolling through, it did talk a little bit about the, that one of the goals is to reduce or to eliminate the plowing and tilling. So what, what is the right way to do it? Well, nature created natural tilling machines uh, called earthworms (laughs) and cattle as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, So cattle move along, they'll they'll mow the grass, you know, they'll eat all the the outliers. If it's controlled grazing, they won't overgraze in any one area. Their hooves will be tilling the soil as they go along and their droppings will be fertilizing the soil as they go along. And Mm -hmm. the same thing happens with with earthworms. You know, you have leaves fall on the ground and naturally the earthworms will eat the leaves and then they'll poop out uh, healthy soil as they're burrowing through the ground and also creating channels for for tree roots and, and other things to follow. So n- the natural tilling and fertilization process that we have, we've killed because now we've, we've taken all the cows and we've rounded them up into feed feedlots, mm-hmm. you know, where they're on concrete pens and all of their methane is actually going into the atmosphere and creating a, a pollution hazard because mm-hmm. normally they'd be out over a grass field where a grass field can sequester a hundred times more methane than the cattle grazing on it can produce. And that's just another natural process that we can go into later. But mm-hmm. the the thing is that we move them to feedlots and the earthworms are all dead. I mean, when I was a kid, I could go out in the backyard and pull up a shovel full of soil and find at least one or two earthworms. But I've not seen an earthworm outside of a, a fishing supply store in probably a decade. And we've killed them all with all of the pesticides and all the chemicals that we've been spraying on the farms and and elsewhere. And that's also why we're seeing all the forest fires because 
that normally forest litter isn't doesn't turn into a fire hazard because it's decomposed by the earthworms and other ground feeders. Uh, whereas now they're all dead, so all those leaves just dry, and if they don't rot, they turn into fuel for forest fires because mm-hmm. it's going to return to carbon one way or another. It's either going to burn up and go into the atmosphere, or it's going to be consumed and brought down into the soil. And so nature has to get rid of it. It's got natural processes to get rid of it. And if the the ground feeders are gone, which they are thanks to human practices, mm-hmm. then forest fires are the only option to clear those forest floors. Wow. Wow, fascinating. I, I want to make sure that we get to, because this is, I think the most important thing is carbon capture shields. And I, so I would love to talk about that. And then I, I have more questions about so many other things. But um, will you, the, the biggest thing that uh, I want people to, to come away with from this is how they can be involved and what they can do. Because obviously you've just, we've just spent so much time discussing all the different issues and what the problems are. Um, and the coolest thing is, is you've created a solution. So uh, you talked about one of the goals being to convert 1 billion acres around the planet to regenerative agriculture. Will you talk about uh, what the game plan is for accomplishing that and then go ahead and, and share what Carbon Capture Shield is and how, how it's come about? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I guess, how, how do you tackle a problem like that? You know, my mm-hmm. dad used to say, how do you eat an elephant? Mm-hmm. And it's one bite at a time, but you got to have a plan. So mm-hmm. uh, we realized, we did some calculations and, and 1 billion acres, if there are 1 billion acres on earth that are farmed regeneratively, we will see a turnaround. Uh, not only will 1 billion acres uh, completely erase the human carbon footprint, and uh, we know carbon's not actually a, a problem. It belongs in the soil. It's part of the carbon cycle, but mm-hmm. that's how we're measuring human impact. Well, a billion acres would completely erase the entire human carbon footprint. Wow. So that's number one. But number two, now you've got a billion acres of farmland that's no longer having fertilizer runoff into the local groundwater and and waterways and causing algal blooms and dead zones everywhere. So you've eliminated that from a billion acres. You don't have the pesticide runoff anymore. You don't have the the herbicide and fungicide runoff that's killing the earthworms and all the fungal networks and all that. Mm -hmm. And you've got all of that land stabilizing healthy weather patterns. So we basically calculated that a billion acres is enough to completely turn around the trajectory of life on Earth and actually return it to a more paradise-like state. (laughs) And I've been talking with um, more, I guess, esoteric uh, explorers and, and researchers as well, and they believe that also the soil carbon acts as a literal carbon capture shield and can also protect the Earth uh, and the upper ionosphere from solar and uh, interstellar radiations because that's sort of like a a capacitor in the soil that was meant to be there as well that we've been literally tilling and blowing up into the atmosphere. So, uh, yeah, by, by fixing that, we... A billion acres is enough to fix Earth. But now the problem is how do you convert a billion acres, especially with farming, Mm-hmm. Because as I've been traveling around meeting with farmers everywhere, I know that the last thing a farmer wants to hear is some visitor telling them a better way of doing things. You know, like they know the land, they've been working it, and they've been lied to so many times, they don't want to hear any new solutions that, you know, some some suit has. <laughs> so we had to figure out how, how are we going to do this. Well, we're working with uh, groups of farmers on every continent already who want to adapt. And the best way is to actually get someone nearby farming that way, because when they see the benefits, they won't be able to, to deny it. So we're, we're talking like between two to 500% increase in yield from the same land without using any inputs. Wow. And when, when, yeah, when your neighbors see that, they, they will come knocking and ask, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but then our other goal is we're, we're starting also literally with uh, a grassroots movement through people's lawns. And so um, my work in Hollywood and, and as a Disney animator and all that taught me that uh, the media and advertising is a very powerful tool. And if we use it for good, we can actually use it to help uh, turn consumers into conscious activists mm. and uh, voting with their dollars in a conscious way. So that way they're actually aware of the effects of what's happening. And so uh, the first product that we're developing is actually a lawn care product. And it basically everything that we've learned how to do with farms, we're putting it in people's backyards so that they can start saving the planet in their own backyard 
by turning their lawn into a carbon capture device that's you know also sequestering methane and it will your lawn will literally uh, transpire hydroxyl ions into the atmosphere that get charged by sunlight and they will act like free radicals and seek out pollutants and uh, decompose them and they'll fall back to the ground as basically as fertilizer so mm-hmm. we're giving people these tools to do it in their own backyard and what we're doing uh, in that way is we're turning what used to be just a consumer into an activist now they've taken action in their own backyards and they feel empowered so now we're going to use that to try and build a grassroots movement to go and put positive pressure on farmers you know imagine if the local farmer had a hundred people calling up and saying hey do you grow regeneratively because i want to buy from you if you do well mm-hmm. you know after a little while it's not going to take long for him to say how do i farm regeneratively and then of course we hope to have you know a whole network of uh, educators that already exists but it's the thing is it's finding the right ones and finding the honest ones, and then also just being aware that it exists. And so Carbon Capture Shield hopes to be a facilitator of that kind of education ongoing into the future. And we also hope to be educating uh, just a consumer market to make that demand to drive the change, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's say I, wanna, I want to have this on my lawn. Um, how, does it, how does it work and what kind of... What kind of differences can it make if 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 I join this this movement? If I want to to do my part, let's say, um, for lack of better well, terms, what what how does it work? Yeah, so we're we're launching. We're about to launch a crowdfunding um, to bring to market the the lawn care product. So we've developed it and we've tested it and we've seen how it works. And Basically, what we do is you have to just stop spraying the poisons on your lawn. That's that's step one. Stop spraying all the chemical fertilizers, everything. Basically, stop putting anything on your lawn. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then just buy a bag of, we call it healthy lawn. And all you have to do is sprinkle that over your lawn, fairly even. Uh, one bag treats about 5,000 square feet. Sprinkle that over your lawn and then just water that in. And what that's done is we're... We're basically combining the spores of, of these fungi, the healthy beneficial ba- uh, fungi and bacteria, with something called molecular carbon. And the molecular carbon, what that does is that goes down into your lawn, and normally uh, all the toxins that are already in your soil and on your grass and in your neighborhood would kill all of those spores before they're able to take root. But so um, sort of like when you sink an old ship, you know, in the ocean to seed a new coral reef. Uh, that's what the molecular carbon does, is it creates this this pocket, like, you know, a micro-sized snail shell for the, the fungi and the bacteria to take root in so that they can um, get get a hold in the soil and then start growing from there. So it's like giving them a little foothold so that they can take over. And then once they take over, then, you know, you don't have to do that anymore because they're literally going to take over your yard and start running things from the ground up. You had mentioned that over 60 million pounds of poisons are sprayed onto lawns every year, and that blew my mind. Is that, did I write that down properly? Is that the accurate number? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 60 million. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And this is like where our children play. You know, it's literally our, our backyards. It's We walk with our shoes and then walk that into our house, you know, and eventually it's going to end up in your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's really bad. Uh, I've heard stories of people having to call poison control because their baby ate a handful of dirt in their own backyard. Wow. And that's that's the kind of world that we actually live in now. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And our food's growing in it. And so, of course, so it is in every which way, whether it's putting dirt directly in our mouth or eating the food that's been grown in the dirt, it is essentially all the same thing. Uh, it's it's all, you know, poison. And, and of course, whenever I think of the soil uh, and and just and how we interact, how we've been designed to interact with nature, I immediately correlate the soil with, uh, you know, and how well it's functioning with our microbiome, our gut health. And so yep. knowing that the soil is in the condition that it's in, it's not very surprising to me that our guts are very unhealthy and the microbiome within us is a, a direct representation of what is going on in the soil. And you had even said that, which I love this, um, and I've been pondering this for days, that the, the soil is like the skin of the earth, which I, I think that just so deep because I, I'm 
teaching people on a regular basis about the importance of our skin and the, how there isn't a filter. So we have to be very careful about what we put on our skin because it immediately goes into our bloodstream. And, and essentially, that's what you're saying about the soil and the earth and what's happening there too, right? Definitely, yeah. And, and, sh- and it's a living skin too, which is why we're killing it with the farming methods. Mm-hmm. So, because we're not only ripping the soil open with tilling, as you said, you know, but then we're also spraying it with poisons, and yeah, it's terrible. Sorry, what were you saying? Oh no, I'm. I just was going to say that um, when it comes to the the product, carbon capture shield, and what people can do with their lawn. So essentially, they're treating the soil of the, around their homes, and is it something that they have to do on a regular basis, or is that something that will just they just have to do once, and then nature takes over? We recommend doing it once a year. That way, you know, in case uh, winter kills it or anything, then uh, once a year should be enough. But you'll know by the health of your lawn whether you need to reapply it. But, yeah, it, it may be a once-off, so it's not like a, a monthly thing. You know, we're, we're working on other products. If you want to have something, you know, to make your lawn extra green or um, maybe also some weed killer. Some people don't like certain plants, and we want to have a healthy organic alternative. But the first one is just this... Uh, it's called healthy lawn, you know, and it just transforms your lawn into a carbon capture lawn. And that's really once, once per year at most. Okay. And it doesn't matter where somebody lives in the world, this will work for them. Correct. Yeah. That's the, that's the awesome thing. Yeah. If you have dirt, it's going to work. <laughs> and even if you have sand, it should work. It just might take a little longer. And is this the similar solution for farmers or do you have a separate solution for actual farming and agriculture it's it's similar but completely different i guess it's like a different delivery mechanism because uh your backyard is a very tended environment and very specific whereas for farming it's it's very dependent on the climate and also what you're trying to grow and then crops tend to lead, tend to need quite a lot more nutrients than what your lawn does and so you you need to make sure that they're in the soil and then if not, then you will have to make amendments. Um, yeah, so so farming is it's going to be a bit more difficult, which is why we're launching this way as well, because we want to build up also the, the cash reserves to finance a lot of this work, because mm. a lot of the um, return on investment is going to be long term, because that's just the way nature works. You've got to, you know, plant the seeds and do the work, and then you don't make a payoff until later, um, which is why no company has really been formed to do this yet. And it, it took... It took a lot of um, legwork to find a group of investors who are willing to invest in this vision because it's not a direct, you know, none of the investors are looking to make a return on investment in the first 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely rare. Um, and and same, you know, we also didn't want to become a nonprofit because I, I've run nonprofits in the past and they're just not an effective vehicle for massive change and um, dynamic change. So, yeah, it, it, that was that was a long process too coming up with the structure of the company. And I don't know if I told you about the, some of my partners and, and the background of some of them, but um, well, one of my co-founders, uh, he was actually the, the husband of my wife's best friend, but he also happens to be a German who runs a, a Japanese renewable energy company. Mm. And he's been in solar since 2008, and he moved to Japan in 2010, you know, and, and people used to just about laugh him out of meetings. Uh, trying to sell solar energy in Japan before Fukushima happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once that happened, people saw that he was actually right. And, you know, they were basically knocking down his door. So um, first of all, he's he's legitimately interested in making positive change. You know, he's helped uh, bring solar panels to, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the region, Mongolia. That's it. That's where it was. Because I'm like, who would think to go and like sell solar panels to Mongolia? You know, he's not mm-hmm. in it for the money. He's in it to actually make the most change where he can. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was the first person that I approached about this because I'd also reached out to uh, a group, a company called Ingersoll Lockwood. And they're a U.S. military defense contractor uh, who usually work with quantum computing and the Space Force. Mm-hmm. And I, I came across their website and I saw that they had a, these 10 hundred year goals of uh, helping the soil, the air, the water, uh, all of this and uh, American exceptionalism, like th- their website really spoke to me. And so I decided to reach out to them with my uh, vision and see if they would give me a meeting. And they gave me a meeting 
And so uh, at that point, I had to you know, prepare a good business pitch and, and business plan for them. So that's when I, I got together with Stefan, who's the, the uh, Japanese German business owner, renewable energy owner. I asked if he would just mentor me and sort of look over my, my business plan and help me make a good pitch that would interest someone like Ingersoll Lockwood. And the first thing he said when he saw my business plan and all, all this stuff, he said, can I invest in this? <laughs> and uh, that really shocked me. I said, wow, okay, I guess we're onto something good here. Yeah, that's very telling. And yeah, so, and of course I said no at first because I, you know, I didn't want to do business with friends and, you know, we went back and forth. He was very persistent. He really wanted to be involved in this. And um, he's been such a blessing to be on this board. But the cool thing is we, we won over Ingersoll Lockwood and they are fully behind this. And um yeah, they really helped with like the business structure and how to set it up so that we can we can go massive when we when we need to, but we keep it small so that the expenses are low. And um, it, that was really a, a touch and go moment reaching out to them, too, because my wife and I, you know, we came up against some pretty heavy censorship and. We saw, I guess, the the underbelly of society when we went down the cannabis road, you mm-hmm. know, and, and learned about that and tried to fight and change laws around the world on cannabis. We, we were not wearing rose-colored glasses, I guess. And so we knew reaching out to a company like Ingersoll Lockwood with the idea that we had, there was a good chance that, you know, they might kill us or uh, or worse, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we, we realized that the, the risks didn't outweigh the be- the potential benefits, you know, and so to achieve this kind of product project where we want to affect a billion acres around the planet, we need someone like the U.S. military, you know, so a U.S. military contractor on our side. And mm-hmm. now one of my co-founders was also a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security. So we actually, uh, you know, and one of our uh, first investors is also former military intelligence and a Black Hawk pilot. So it's like we've got the you know, the total liberal leftist, that's sort of me and also Stefan, you know, with the renewable energy company. But then we've also got the people who are the hardcore true patriots mm-hmm. uh, with the right connections, you know, founding member of the Department of Homeland Security. So we've definitely got the team to pull this off. And it's just a matter of time, really, and letting nature take its course, I guess. Well, I feel I feel like anything that is an innovative product, if we're really looking to shift culture to shift the paradigm on anything, it it all has to be different. Even the structure of the business model itself, the foundations in which we lay a new innovation on has to be as innovative, if that makes sense. So I'm not surprised by um, how this has come about and how it's been designed. I'm impressed. I think it's incredible. I think it's very inspiring and it also just really sets a standard for what we need to do. And I, and I use that we intentionally, uh, what we need to do as a united front of people to, you know, not just point at large corporations and say, what are you going to do about it? Sure. Let's hold them accountable, but what are we going to do? And, 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 and how can we shift our mindset to, to, to not think so small? Oh, well, this is just, this is just how it is, and there's only these um, potentially as dangerous solutions for this other dangerous problem. It, I, we're, there's so much more. We're capable of so much more, and that's really what I love about the design of Carbon Capture Shield as a whole because it really is about creating wholeness and community, which is something that we chatted about as well that I, I love that this is – being brought to people's front doorsteps this is about bringing it to the individual's home allowing for them to to experience it in their own way to benefit their family but also in the process become educated so that they can in turn inspire their neighborhood and then in turn inspire their community i think that's how most things are going to need to grow going forward because we do have some pretty big problems to tackle and uh, we've become so in just self-sustaining meaning 
we're we're so we we drive into our garage and shut the door and and don't know our neighbors don't know where the food is coming from at our local restaurants but we actually have a say in that and it's and it's important and the best way to start is that local restaurant that local farmer uh, to work together not to just say well let me know when you've solved your problem no their problem is our problem so that means yeah. that we have to collectively get together and talk about what the solution is and so i i actually really appreciate uh, you bringing in the community component of this collectively. No, thank you. Yeah, well, and, and that's where it has to be because we're we're a global civilization now, you know, and that that's one thing that blew me away, especially it was in Albania. I made a documentary about uh, the farmers in Albania. And the thing is, they, they've been under communism and they were so repressed and so poor, they literally couldn't afford the modern farming techniques. And so they still farm using thousand-year-old methods and literally like farmers fly to Albania to be taught these methods so that's why I sort of went there and wanted to understand what what they were doing hmm. but what they also do is they set up local based economies local farm based economies. so you have a group of farmers so there's this one place Uka farm they're one of our, our partners uh, international partners with carbon capture shield and what they do they run a winery but they don't grow any grapes they have a network of about 100 local families who grow grapes, and then they just go and harvest all the grapes at harvest time. But they oversee the methods, and they've actually, uh, in the last year, because of uh, their work with us, they've started uh, more regenerative practices focusing on the carbon content of the soil, and they actually saw an increase from 20 tons of grapes. They they harvested 90 tons of grapes from the same land, Wow, which is pretty amazing. So they're actually <laughs> making a video about that this week, hopefully hopefully. This month we'll be able to release a video on that, but just amazing stuff. But they taught me the power of community because they their winery wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the network, the community of families that grow the grapes, you know. And that's the way all of their stuff works. They've got entire uh, like restaurant uh, recreation area. You can go and camp there for like a week, but everything that you eat is grown by the local family farms in the area. And so it's like literally they have chefs, world-renowned chefs come in and prepare the food, but it's all with locally grown seasonal ingredients. Mm. And that's that's the kind of thing that I hope to help spread uh, to more places around the world because I think that makes – first of all, it makes you resilient. That's something that we're learning with all these shipping crises that, that we're mm. going through right now. It's like our civilization is not very resilient, you know, and if – if it, if a simple virus can knock us on our butts like this, you know, we really need to rethink the way that we're designing things and mm-hmm. start local. Yes, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. That's something that I typically try to do anywhere that I'm <laughs> momentarily positioned. I tend to move around a lot. So wherever whatever community I land in is I typically will find the local people, the local the restaurants who are who are reinventing how they source their ingredients and supporting nice. the local vendor vendors and and that's a, a very easy immediate action step people can take in becoming more community minded not just going to the farmers market on a saturday morning or you know sometime during the week and treating it as you would a supermarket it's different it's that's why people i think love the experiences because there's something innate about that about getting local produce supporting our neighbors and things like that but that is one step as well is to go is to find those the restaurants i I know people love to eat out and it's a a matter of convenience it's also a a social thing to do but when you're supporting local businesses in the process it helps to just reset that the mind frame of let's do it more sustainably more locally plus the food tastes better everything tastes better (laughs) because it's it's not been you know it's not been uh, shipped around and 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 processed through multiple different factories and, and so on. Um, so I feel like that's step one. If somebody can do that today. Anybody listening can just do that today. Just look up local restaurants that are sourcing from, um, you know, more the farm to table type atmosphere. And if people wanted to get more involved in what you're doing or learn more about what your company is up to, what are the best ways for them to do that? So right now we're we're trying to launch the crowdfunder to launch our, our lawn care product. And if you go to lawn.carboncaptureshield.com, so that's just the word lawn.carboncaptureshield.com. 
And uh, so go there and, and sign up. And what we're trying to do is we're um, we we have a very limited amount of resources to launch this. Uh, and that's one of the things that Ingersoll Lockwood uh, they're really making us prove the business model before they they invest heavily in it. And so <clears throat> before we launch our crowdfunder, even we're trying to build up a, a list of enough people to where um, when someone gives us a one dollar reservation, that's a that shows buying intent that they're definitely going to invest in this product. And mm. usually about 30 percent of the people who give that one dollar uh, reservation will then actually buy your product within the first 24 hours of you launching, which is really crucial for the crowdfunding campaign that we want to do. Uh, which will either be Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And so uh, if we can raise our, if we can meet our funding goal within the first 24 hours, then that platform will start advertising for us and spread it to an even bigger market. And what we're finding is uh, even though we're an environmentally friendly uh, project, we are getting heavily censored on social media. We, mm. all of our ads are getting rejected. They're They're trying to say that we're trying to advertise social issues and political issues it's like well the, yeah it's a social issue but it's not political and um yeah so so we're trying to find our way forward so if people want to support us right now if you just go to lawn.carboncaptureshield.com and then sign up you don't have to give the one dollar but sign up at least for for that initial mailing list or just go to carboncaptureshield.com and look for us there uh our our social media accounts are sometimes getting banned or locked or deleted. So there's a few orphan accounts out there where we've had to recreate, uh, mm -hmm. but then they left the old one up now, like people have been sending me screenshots. Um, so yeah, the, there's definitely tomfoolery afoot with <laughs> with the social media, you know, big tech censorship and all that. Um, so our website for now is probably the best. And if you want to avoid social media, we're also on Telegram. If you just look up Carbon Capture Shield or CCS on, uh, on Telegram, uh, yeah, Carbon Capture Shield. We have the, the Telegram account there. So j just look for us on there. And then we, there's also a chat that you can join and we can uh, hook up that way. Or um, yeah, apart from that, lawn.carboncaptureshield is where we really would love people to go to show us who is interested enough to actually pre-order this product. Mm. And and just if, if I could go on about that product. Um, yes. The idea there is that we want to run the crowdfunding campaign, hopefully this November or December, and get people to pre-purchase, which is what crowdfunding does. So, so they're basically giving us the money to build the factories, so that way we can have the the factory set up and ready to ship the product by the end of February, which means it would arrive at customer's door just in time for the first thaw of of spring, which is the best time to apply this. So basically, we're we're educating people about the benefits of it now, right before winter. We're going to try and raise the money, you know, over the winter break, so that way, first thing spring, they can sprinkle it on their lawn and then start the year, you know, with with a lawn that's actually helping the environment. I love that. That's that's amazing. And yes, I I I feel your pain on the social media side of things. <laughs> it it really is uh, a full time job plus some to just get a message out there without getting caught up in some of the, what you called tomfoolery. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. Um, and so, yes, I, I'm more than happy to share all of the links if anything comes up between now and then uh, to, to help people connect with you easier, let me know. I definitely wanna help, um, help people get to this information. I'm also going to link to I'll, t I'll get your telegram information and everything in the show notes. So anyone listening, just go to the show notes to look. Um, don't even try searching through social media. Yeah. <laughs> really for anything right now. <laughs> don't even, just don't even bother. Um, it can be such a, a time suck because it, it, it surely is being intentionally directed in, in a way that is not, uh, is not organic, we'll say. Uh, so I'm happy to put those in the show notes and thank you so much for your expertise on this topic. Thank you so much for what you're doing and just the pioneering of such a profound solution. I know that work like this does not, it just does not come easy. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart. And I have so much gratitude for people who are willing to, um, you know, to really weigh out the risks versus the rewards and 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 put their own lives on on the line really their time their um 
their livelihood, their possession, you know, to just go, no, this matters more. And I have an idea. So thank you for being brave like that and courageous to you and your wife. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I, I grew up, I was born in Detroit, in inner city Detroit, so I know how bad uh, urban decay can get. And my wife was born in eastern Germany, so she knows how bad communism can get. So we're both motivated not to uh, allow the world to become like what we experienced, definitely. Well, well thank you. That's, it, 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 it really is quite a statement that, um, you know, these are the people we need to be listening to. The ones who have experienced it already, um, you know, they have the most most to say. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Please be sure to check out the show notes for the links and for more information about Carbon Capture Shield, um, their mission and ways that you can get involved and support them. Um, There's really no better time than now to get active within your communities um, and, and find out ways to contribute to it as a way of becoming whole, healthy, and free. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, be well. Thank you for listening to Whole, Healthy, and Free. I will be back soon with another edition of the podcast. I invite you to check out my next episode once it becomes available on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until then, stay focused, insist on the truth, and do not quit. You are so much stronger than you realize.